It's good to be uh, back with you. Uh, sorry we had church canceled last week, but uh, spring is here, and I think we might be done with the snow, and as soon as I say that, it will snow. Um, but uh, we are leaving Jonah behind. We were hoping to finish that up last week, uh, but we are going to leave Jonah behind. We are beginning the Lenten season, and we're going to be starting a new uh, a series in the Gospel of John uh, for a few weeks. And before we do that, um, I'm going to pray and ask God for help. Why don't you pray with me as we open God's Word? Lord, uh, we do come humbly before you. Thank you for these beautiful songs. Thank you for putting good truth on our lips to sing to you. Um, thank you for this beautiful spring day. Thank you for the beginning of Lent um, as we journey toward uh, the cross and resurrection, as we remind ourselves and remind each other what is the ultimate reality and what matters most. Um, and ultimately, that's you and knowing you and you being a sovereign, good, loving, heavenly Father. Um, and so now as we open your word, God, we just ask for your help. And uh, we ask that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we'd also be doers as well. So help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you had a, a friend, um, family member, coworker, uh, someone that you wanted to explain Christianity to or explain uh, who God is or who Jesus is, where would you take them in the scriptures? What maybe verses or what books, where, where would you go? Would you go to you know, the Gospel of John? Would you go to the Psalms? Would you go to Genesis? Where, where would you go if you wanted to kind of give someone a clear picture of what the Christian faith is really all about and, and what Christians are about or what disciples are about? And if I was going to do this, and I've done it multiple times, is I would take them to the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Um, and so there's these seven statements that Jesus makes out of his own mouth about who he is and, and who God is and what, what this life is really all about and what the universe is really all about. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks as we kind of journey towards Resurrection uh, Sunday are there these seven statements that Jesus makes uh, out of his own mouth in the Gospel of, of John. And so this morning, we're going to begin that series in a statement that Jesus makes that maybe it's a familiar statement. And we were kind of joking uh, this morning, Joe was laughing of, uh, that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says, I was looking for songs that talk about the bread of life, and there aren't any. Uh, so somebody needs to get on that and write uh, some songs about the bread of life. And we don't really know why that is. Uh, maybe it's just not language we use. Um, but this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And some translation says, I am the bread of, of heaven. And so we're going to jump in in John chapter 6, starting at verse 25. 25. I'm going to give you uh, some context from 25 to 40. We'll, we'll hit a few other verses, but I'm just going to read 25 to, to 40. And it's important to know as we jump into John 6, 25, is that this is in the context of Jesus just feeding, had just fed, I should say, uh, the 5,000. Uh, probably familiar story. Um, and so keep that in your mind as we look at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. So John chapter 6, verse 25. If you need a, a Bible, there should be one around you, page 891. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you are, you, excuse me, you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for that food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, whom excuse me, he has sent. 
So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is those who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not go hungry. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me, he will come. Sorry, I'm really having a hard time reading this morning. I can read, I promise. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of God for us this morning. And so, so what John is doing in John's uh, gospel is he's giving us some really some unique language about describing what life is all about or what eternal life is all about. And so the way he's attacking that is he's, he's showing how Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. And as I said, some translations say, I am the bread of heaven. And so it is. It's a way of looking at life. It's a way of looking at what's eternal life. What's life in general? Why does Jesus say this? How do we understand what life is really all about? What is eternal life? What is this? And this is a very common theme in John's gospel, eternal life. And and what is life? And believing on the Lord Jesus. Even when you go back to to chapter 20, he says the whole book, the whole purpose I wrote the book was that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have eternal life. So it's it's a very important theme as we look at Jesus' statement here about being the bread of life. And so to, to kind of attack that this morning, I have just kind of three big ideas is why is Jesus the bread of life? How do we get the bread of life? And how do we know if we have the bread of life? So why is Jesus the bread of life? How do we get the bread of life? And then how do we know if we already have it? Is there any way of knowing? Is there any fruit in our lives? Is there anything that could point to, yes, this is, this is true. I, I believe this. I'm walking in this. So, so why is Jesus the bread of life? Well, right, right in verse 35, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, when John uses the word life, there's two ways to look at the word life. So if you did any, uh, I know you all studied Greek and you, you look at the Greek words, but there's, there's two main Greek words when the Bible talks about life. And one of those uh, Greek words is bios or, or bios, depends how pretentious you are. But, but bios or, or bios is just this idea of physical life, existence. It's, it's the fact that you and I are here. It's a very general term for, for life. So, so you'll see that all over John's gospel. You see that in the New Testament in different places. But the word that, that John is using here is a different Greek word, and it's actually zoe. And this is a, an aliveness, it's a quality of life. It, it has to do with this idea of joy or exuberance. And so when you, when you think about eternal life, here's what we typically think about when we think about eternal life. We just say, well, one day when I go to heaven and I sing for a very, 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 very long time, off in the future. 
But, but the reality is that the New Testament doesn't talk that way. When it talks about eternal life, it, yes, it always has a, a future nature, but it also talks about eternal life now, a quality of life, an exuberance, a way of being, a way of, of living. It's not just something that we hope for that's coming into the future, but then when you meet Christ and you are born again by the Spirit of, of God, you have this new eternal life, this new aliveness, this new quality of life that everything has changed. It's not just someday so that we can play harps and sing on clouds, but it's a quality of life that has come, here, come to us now. Now, I mentioned the context of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, comes in the context of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Okay, now this is very, very significant because what Jesus is doing is he's engaging the audience on a couple different levels to talk about this, this bread of life or this eternal life, these different qualities of life. Now, let, let's, let me give you a couple of verses here to make that, that clear. So if you notice in verse 26 and 27, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He disappears. They go looking for him. Jesus has become this rock star. They're just like, whoa, whoa, this is amazing. Let's go find this guy. So they, they get in boats and literally go and find Jesus. And notice what he says in verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal." So here's, here's the problem. This is a fantastic... How many of us have, have read the, the story about the feeding of the 5,000, right? I mean, you go, you go to Sunday school, right? There's probably a flannel graph. There's probably some, some kind of you know, illustration uh, of how God takes the, the, the miraculous loaves and the fish and he multiplies them and feeds everyone. It's this great miracle. But what Jesus is doing, he's saying, it's not about the miracle. It never was about the miracle. But it was about the one who did the miracle. That me feeding the 5,000 was never to go, look at this miracle worker, look at this guy who's doing these signs and these, these wonders, oh, praise his name. It was always about the glory that was revealed by the miracle worker, Jesus Christ. That's why he says, he says, uh, but because he says, uh, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He goes, you just, it's because I'm useful to you. It's because I fed your bellies. You were hungry, and I did this awesome miracle, and now you're full. But you didn't come for me, to me for the right reason. You didn't see what I was doing and what I was trying to accomplish by actually doing the miracle. That Jesus was just practical and useful to them. See, and then he, he, he builds on that idea in verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So, so if you just stop with the physical bread, that you just get your tummies full and say, thank you, God, for filling my belly. But if you don't go beyond that, realize there's, there's a bread that I'm offering you. There's an eternal life that I'm offering you, a, a whole different thing that's going on here. Don't miss it. It's not about that bread. It's not about the miracle. But it's pointing beyond itself to me and the, the true bread that satisfies that I'm, I'm offering you. And, and, and we do that all the time, isn't it? I mean, we enjoy God's stuff, but we don't always thank God, the creator, the one that gives us the stuff, or the one who gives us the gifts, right? Romans 1 says that. It says the problem with the universe is that, that we love God's things. We love his creation. We love all the good gifts that he gives us. He gives us, gives us beautiful spring days, and he gives us, I mean, come on, he gives us barbecue, and he gives us fajitas and guacamole and all these wonderful things to enjoy, and jobs and families and little children and, 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 and art and all these good gifts. But the problem with us is we don't thank and honor the one who gives the gifts. Romans 1. 
And we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we worship and we bow down to those things rather than letting them, as C.S. Lewis says, these little echoes, these little pointers to those gifts are always meant to point beyond itself to the creator and say, thank you, God, for them. And so we become selfish and we become prideful and we worship the wrong things. It's, It's the human condition, isn't it? And so here's Jesus doing this miracle. He's talking about, I'm the bread of life and saying, you're laboring for the wrong food. Now, case in point, if you don't believe what I'm saying, if you go all the way to almost the end of chapter 6, notice what happens. This is really, really insightful in John's gospel. So in verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, I love this, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Right? Just a lot, very honest, right? It's just, uh, uh, Jesus, I know you're talking about the bread of life. I, I know, you know there's some miracles happen, and, and now we're just really confused. This is really, really hard. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were glumming about this, said to them, do you not take offense to this? Then what if you were to say to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh to help all. And then go down to 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? So, so, so case in point, he's, he's attacking life on so many different levels. That's why the, if you spend any time in the scriptures, there's so many levels that Jesus is going after. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I'm just, as I'm setting this again this week, just going like, oh my gosh, you, you, you're not just saying the thing that we think you're, you're, you're supposed to say. Because if I'm in that crowd, I'm going, hey, thank you that my belly's full. And he's going, it's never about having a full belly, right? It's about a bread that I can give you that it will last forever. I'm going, what? Huh? Right? Well, we could be so dull to the, these things, right? And yet that's exactly what he's saying because now the disciples are saying, we're done. If it's not about the miracles, it's not about you being useful and practical for me. I'm out. This is too hard. I'll see you later. And we see Jesus. That happens all the time. Jesus, the rock star, he feeds the 4,000, feeds the 5,000. All these crowds come around him, and then he starts saying hard things, and they're like, peace, we'll catch you later. Oh, it's about taking up our cross and following you? Uh Uh-uh. We just thought you were very useful and practical for me. I'm going to go do something else. So when Jesus comes to us, he's, he's, he's going, okay, there's life, and then there's life. There's just life and existence, but there's also a new quality of life that I'm, I'm offering you. There, there, there's two options for living, as Jesus says in verse 27. There, there's, there's food that you can go after that spoils and gets moldy and hard. So, uh, you know, God's providence, God's sovereignty in my life. Um, went to Aldi, uh, as we do. Bought some bread at Aldi, and sometimes bread at Aldi is not that fresh. Let's just call it what it is. And uh, came home with the bread, really excited. My wife was like, hey, thanks for getting bread, honey. And then she's like, uh, a couple days later, hey, have you had the bread? Uh, not so good. Um, and very stale and, and doesn't last forever. doesn't matter how many preservatives you put in those things, right? Ever seen it? I mean, we live in Missouri, right? Sweaty, hot Missouri. The bread gets moldy very fast because of the moisture. God help us. We can seek bread that lasts or we can seek bread that gets moldy and hard and doesn't always taste so, so good. And, and that's where, what Jesus is, is doing, and that's what he's trying to illustrate here. Many uh, years ago, uh, my, uh, uh, this is actually a different trip. Uh, many years ago, my, my, uh, my parents decided to move to Germany. So I was in college, and they're just like, peace out. Uh, we did, did well. We're going to leave the country. Um, 
Good luck and Godspeed. And so my parents moved to Germany. My dad took a job there, and uh, they were uh, nice enough to uh, fly me out to Germany to visit them uh, one spring break while I was in, in college. And my dad uh, ha- had some, uh, some connections, if you will, to get me a first-class ticket to Europe. Now, if you've ever flown first class on a, I'm not talking like Arizona to Denver, I'm talking like, you know, 15-hour flight uh, first class, it's the only way that you can do it. So I've been ruined. This was I was 19, so this is almost 20 years ago. I've been ruined. I can't do. I can't sit with the peasants. I just can't sit in coach anymore. Because I want you. I want you to get a feel for. It. And again, I know things have changed. This is pre 9/11, so dating me as well. This is Delta. This is business class. The the seat literally f- folds flat like a bed. Okay, score one, one points. Uh, two, they come around and give you warm nuts, not just bowls of nuts. Warm nuts. Uh, three, uh, they also come around and give you not just a towel to put on your face, but a warm, hot towel to put on your, your face. I didn't even know what was going on half the time, okay? There's warm nuts. There's warm towels. I'm just like, what do I do with this? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they had to explain that. And then it gets even better, and this is pre-DVD, so I'm, I'm fairly old, is they give you individual personalized movies to watch, and you just ask which one you want. They give you a new little video, and you pop it in, and you watch the movies to your heart's delight for 15 hours. I mean, I'm a 19-year-old kid in college. I'm just like, Lord, just, I'm good. I, I, I've lived life. This is it. This is good. Take me home. This thing goes down in a blaze of glory. It's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm just happy, right? And I found myself saying, this is living. This is living. This is it, right? We've all, all had those, those moments, right? These little pockets of life where you just go like, this is life. This is what it's all about, sitting on, your, in the, on a beach on your honeymoon or going on a vacation or, or whatever it is, going, this is truly living. And, and yet, Jesus comes to us and he laughs at our visions and our versions of what true living is. And what life is really all about. I think, Scott, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think he mentioned this in a sermon. I've quoted this many times. It's from The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Right? Like, we could be on first-class Delta, going to Europe, having warm nuts and warm towels, and, and I didn't mention this, ice cream bar. I get off the plane, there's chocolate all over my shirt. I'm just an absolute mess, but praising Jesus at the same time. Right? We can, we can have those experiences. We can go through that life. Yet Jesus says, there's still a bread. There's still life. There's a quality of life that I'm offering that is better than any flight to Europe. That's better than, than any trip across the universe. It's better than, than your wife or your, your husband or your kids or your job or any monetary gain, any car, any luxury, anything that I have. There's, that we're just too far easily pleased. Too easily pleased, aren't we? And the things we give our attention to and our time and our money and our efforts to, it just doesn't satisfy. We know that deep down. We know the bread gets moldy, but we still run after it, don't we? So, so why is Jesus the, the better bread? Why is he the superior bread? Why, why, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, come to me this bread that doesn't spoil, why, why is it superior? Well, there's a, there's a couple things right in our text I think are really helpful. Is, is one, is it that this bread of life, is, it's all about grace, it's all about grace. I, we live in a, in a world, in a day, we live in the church, outside the church, religion, whatever, that just does not understand grace. 
Everything is about performance, isn't it? Right? We just love that, right? Performance review, right? You've ever had one? Right? You, you sit down with your boss, you sit down with someone, and they go, Let, let's go over your performance, right? That's so anti-gospel, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with having a performance review. There's nothing wrong with going, hey, maybe there's some things we can do better. But when you sit there and you go, like, your worth, your identity, your future with this company, your, your pay is going to be predicated on your performance, goes so against the gospel in which we walk in, in which we stand. So, so Jesus says in verse 20, 27, do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures. Don't work for food that perishes. It's all about work, right? It's what I do. It's what I come what I'm seeking after. But he says, there's a, there's a food that doesn't perish and it's a gift of grace. And, and, and this Jesus, he, you don't have to labor for it. You just receive it. And, and this Jesus has been sealed. He's been given the authority in verse 27 by the Father that, that he can give it freely, that he's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. He doesn't have any strings attached. That's what John men in, in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He says, if you want this bread, it's about just receiving it. Thank you. It's not about doing something. It's not about working for it. It's not like, well, God, can I, can I maybe see if I can get the bread to, to not be as moldy or still? Like, what can I do to help you out? And yet Jesus is the superior bread. He's, he's superior in every way because of this grace that we know. Verse uh, 33. For the bread of God is, excuse me, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You ever think about the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming down, becoming flesh, walking among us, fully God, fully man, walking among us. The incarnation is the ultimate picture of grace. We didn't ask him to come. We didn't call him down from heaven. Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm going to tabernacle among you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to live a life you couldn't live. I'm going to die a death you should have died. I'm going to rise again to new life and give you new life. I'm doing that all. It's a, it's a picture of God's grace. Even God coming down to us. There's no philosophy. There's no religion. There's nothing like this Jesus. He doesn't yell from heaven and say, do these things and maybe I'll love you. Do these things and maybe you'll get to heaven. Do these things and I may bless you. He comes down and takes his own medicine. He suffers among us so that we wouldn't have to suffer. He comes and dies on the cross. He takes our place on the cross. Because he loved us that much. He didn't just tell us he loved us. He showed us in action that the whole thing is grace. And then John's going to even build on that even more in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is such good news. Right? There, there, there's so much in us that says everything in my life is about what I do, what I achieve, and yet here comes God and he says, Hey, unless God draws you, that's how you get in. It's, it's not about, did you show up to church? Were you born in the right family? Were you born on this continent or that continent? It's, it's God's gracious gift that he would draw us to himself. That he would make a way for us to be in a living, real relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The whole thing is grace. J.I. Packer in the 
fairly famous book, Knowing God. If you haven't read it, you should. In the New Testament, this is what he says, in the New Testament, grace means God's love and action toward people who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son to the cross to descend into hell. We just said that together. So that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. That we couldn't even lift a finger, and yet God says, I'm doing it all. We didn't even want to lift a finger. It's all grace. Jesus is a superior bread because he also offers a relationship and a new family. So, so Jesus in Christianity, it's not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. It's not a, a mystical experience. It's about relating to a person. A living, alive, resurrected Savior. It's about relating to the Father and the Son and, and the Spirit. Notice the, the relational language that, that Jesus says when he talks about I am the bread of life. Notice in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never it's very relational. Those who come to me, those who are in relationship with me, those who, who seek me, who trust me, who look to me. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Notice what he says in, in verse uh, 37. All that the Father gives me, he will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Think of a friend who never rejects you. Who never says I'm over you. I'm done with you. Just can't handle you. I, I just you're annoying. <laughs> You've hurt me, right? He, he says that, that if you're in Christ, I will never cast you out. You always have my friendship, always and forever, now and forever. You believe in me. You're looking to me. You've eaten this bread of life. This is signed, secured, and delivered. Think about that. But I imagine if I just push a little bit this morning. Oops. Some of you don't believe that. And only because of what you did this week. Why would God want to even be around me? If he knew what was in my head and my heart. If he saw the way I acted toward my wife or my spouse or my kids or my coworker this week. Why would he want anything to do with me? That's just, just, that's just this, this week. Right? But, but here's the beauty of the cross, right? You've been outed. Right? He knows. He's not going, what? Wait, what did you say? You said what to your wife? But like the cross proves you've been outed. God took your punishment, took your sins. He knows everything you've done, past, present, and future. And he says, you're still mine. I'm not ending this relationship. We don't have any relationships like that, right? Relationships are so fragile. One mess up and I'm out, right? And so I'll never cast you out, verse 39, he just keeps building on the same idea. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. We, we don't believe around here, at least at New City, that you can lose your salvation. We don't believe that because of texts like this. You, you think God's going to go to links to save you and then say, well, sorry, you didn't do enough. You're out. That's not how this works. If it's God's doing, it's all God's doing. It's not God does a little, then we do a little. God does a little, we do a little. That maybe if I just am nice enough, maybe if I just go to church enough or, or, or read my, my calfskin ESV study Bible that smells like an actual lamb and it's still making noises like lambs do, 
If I read all of Tim Keller and John Piper, if I, if I, if I read the right blogs and listen to the right podcasts, if I hang around the right people, if I just do enough, if I do enough good works, if I help enough homeless people, then maybe, just maybe, God will let me in and he'll keep me. And some of you grew up in those environments, right? Never quite sure. This week was a really good week. I think I'm in. Next week. It's God who comes to us. The God of heaven and earth who comes and dwells among us and redeems us. And he's never going to let go. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's really good news for us this morning. However your week went. However your morning went. If you have children, you know what that's like. Like, God, do I get some grace here? I mean, just to get the kids to church is an absolute miracle. I mean, I know you fed 5,000, but just to get them in the car and not lose my mind and say things I regret. Too honest? Like, I don't know what you're talking about, Ryan. I don't know. I'm just patient and kind to my kids, and they're just, they're loved, and they're, okay, maybe that's you. Help me. Please help me and my family. (laughs) So, if God offers this bread of life in this new relationship and in, in this, this new family, he doesn't just invite us to himself, but he also invites us into a new family, the church. What does that relationship look like? And, and I just wanted to give you just a little, little glimpse of that. It's probably a text I, I referenced quite a bit because I think it's really helpful. Is in Hebrews chapter 4. It's probably one we don't think about enough, or, or especially when we pray and we think about who Jesus is and how we relate to God in prayer and But in Hebrews 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you relate to God like that? Like, do you know that when you pray to God that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is tempted in every way, knows your weakness backwards and forwards and goes, hey, God, I, Joe just stopped talking to me. He bailed on me. And Jesus says, yeah, <laughs> been there. Been abandoned by my friends many times over. Hey, God, I, you know, I'm just trying to live my, my faith out, and it just seems like people kind of think I'm weird and say mean things to me, and throw staplers at me. Yeah, I've, I've been there too. I know it's like even my best friends at the moment of my need, he, they just try to obey the Father and they all bailed on me. I didn't have staplers back then, but... right? Do, do you think of God as this God of grace that we can, can approach? He's our high priest because he's done it all. He, he is our righteous. We are cleansed. We are free. We are forgiven. And that when we connect to God, he goes, yeah, I know what that's like, but I'm without sin, so come to me. Come boldly to me. There's no sin. There's no mistake. There's no failure. There's no doubt. There's no fear that I don't understand. Andy and I were talking about this, I think, this week and last week. We are just talking about how, how important the Psalms are to read. To go, there's nothing in your life that you can't say to God. Go read the Psalms. The, the, the most honest books we have, right? If you're scared, you're anxious. God, where are you? Are you do you even exist? God can handle it, right? So we, we go boldly to the, the throne of great God. This is just where I'm at. He would rather you be honest than just be a liar. 
I mean, some of us have such a cold, formal relationship with God is because we, we don't think he can handle it, right? But he's going, Ryan, I know what's going on. Why don't you just say that to me? Like, you don't think I saw that or I know what you're thinking or what you're stressed over, what you're anxious over? Just say it. And yet that's what Jesus invites us into, that kind of grace-based relationship. And then lastly, and then we'll, we'll jump to the next, the next one's not as long. Is the bread of life, he offers us a new purpose and a new, new hope. A new purpose and a, and a new hope. If you go back to John uh, chapter 6, verse 40, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, so this quality of life, this eternal life that we're talking about is right here. He's saying, you're going to live forever, now and forever. So, so if you are in Christ, your life is never going to end. Like right now. You will die, you'll shut your eyes, and you'll be more alive than you've ever been. That's, that's as much as you're going to die in a blink of an eye, and you'll be fully alive. That's how this works. That's what the scriptures tell me, at least. Right? Like, like think about, do you, have, do you think about that enough on a daily basis? Like, like, work on Monday. Are you thinking about that I am fully alive now and forever? It does not matter if Joe, guy in the cubicle, is mad because I didn't do my spreadsheets the way he wanted them to. I'm not really talking about Joe. He's just right here, so Joe's in my mind. That's just a, a generic Joe. So it could be Larry. It could be Mo. It could be whatever. But just think about that, right? Think about those moments in parenting on Tuesday where your kids are just driving you mad and just like, God, oh, how long, oh, Lord? Are they ever going to learn how to tie their shoes? Are they ever going to stop whining and complaining? But I'm alive forever, now and forever. When I was in, in seminary, I had this friend, John, who was really annoying because he's really smart. And uh, Greek just came really easy to him. He was like, you know, the Greek tutor after the first year of Greek. I'm like, how are you a tutor? You're like in seminary. And he's like, oh, I'm just... Anyway, so we come out of a class one day and, and we're, we're comparing notes and he, you know, got a straight A, of course, and maybe missed one. Um, and I think he was very upset over that one. But, but he, he said to me, and I didn't do very well, and um, I just always struggle with Greek... Um, and, and, you know, woke up at four in the morning trying to, like, memorize flashcards and all this. And, uh, and, he, and he says to me, and I wanted to punch him, that was my first uh, reaction, was, hey, Ryan, at least we'll be in heaven someday. It's like, John, really? Well, heaven's not going to help me pass this class. And so after I kind of calmed down and didn't choke him out, I realized he was right. As cliche as it sounded... That's exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. So you got to see on your Greek exam. Okay. You're alive forever. You're going to be alive for billions of years with your Heavenly Father and with God's people, ruling and reigning with Christ. So, so when you get that cancer diagnosis, when, when depression hits, when anxiety hits, where are we going to go? Now we have this quality of life that we're going to, to live forever. I know Dan shared... Put you on the spot, Dan, and ask you, but you know, he's working on, he's a builder, he's working on a house, right? The house doesn't come, maybe a tornado rips it from its limb. We hope it doesn't happen, but but you know, it just doesn't happen. It's just in those moments when you're just like, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, is I'm alive. 
whether I have one year of life or 89, I'm alive now and forever. So when we talk about going to work on Monday, it's not about, you know, preaching the gospel from your cubicle and listening to Christian music, which is fine. But it's knowing now I have this quality of life that I can work with excellence. I I can work in a way that that doesn't define me by how well the job's going or not. I I can work hard. I can work long for the glory of God because I know I already have this new eternal life that's been offered me. That I can do the best I can by God's grace to be a good husband and be a good father and all those, those things, but I'm not going to let it overwhelm me. I'm not going to let it define me because there's going to be great days. There's going to be really hard days. That in many ways, this new purpose and this new hope is, is so practical on day, for daily living. I don't think we give it enough credit. But you see, the problem is that we just keep seeking after the stale and moldy bread that's going away the food that perishes, thinking that it's going to give us what we need. And yet we need something stable and sturdy and forever and eternal because we know everything else is going away. Everything. I'm going to read another J.I. Packer uh, quote on hope. It's probably one of the best quotes I've, I've read on hope, and it's from his same book, Knowing God. He says, Optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving, and is often no more than whistling in the dark. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. As when the Anglican burial service interposes the corpse, it says, ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. So when I sit on a plane in Europe, going to Europe and coming home, um, pretty awesome. Not going to minimize that. Maybe you've had those experiences. But years later I can say, but the best is yet to come. I mean, ice cream bar is nice, warm nuts and warm towels are great. But I want to believe in heaven there's just going to be an unending ice cream bar and warm towels and nuts that won't make me fat and clog my arteries. Amen? I thought I'd get an amen from that. So simply, how how do we get this bread of life? And then we'll close with how do we know if we have it? We believe in the one who sent Jesus. We believe in the one who is sent, verse 29. He, he's making it very easy. He's not saying, you know, you've got to find your own path. You've got to find some route. You've got to read some, some book. It's, it's, it's verse 29. Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. That The reason Jesus came, the reason Jesus said, I am the, the, the bread of life. The reason he, he incarnated, he moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peter said, is so that we would believe on him. That's the mission. He says in John chapter 20, the whole purpose of the book is that you would believe, that you would see that he is who he says he is, that he is the superior bread, that he he offers us something that can quench our thirst and our souls. And so we believe. Verse 37, I mentioned this already, but it says, I am the bread of life. Whoever 
um, or, excuse me, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's a picture of faith. All those who come to Jesus to say, you're the bread of life. You're the one who lived. You're the one who died. You're the one who, who rose from the dead. I'm trusting in you. I'm, I'm looking to you. That's what verse 40 says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Anyone who looks to Him and says, you've done what I couldn't do for myself, and we trust in that Savior the bread is ours. Life is ours. The new eternal life, the quality of life is now ours. Now, there's always, and I've already hinted at it, there's always so much confusion that we still think, and, and even if you're a Christian, and, and, and you know many of you are, most of you probably are, like, we still think, God, what can I do? There's got to be more. It can't just be believing and trusting. I mean, come on, Right? That just sounds too easy. Like it doesn't ask of, of anything. And, and they were confused in their day too. The, notice how confused the audiences are um, in, in, in the first century. In, um, in verse uh, 60, if you remember this, he says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So when Jesus says, stop laboring for this thing you can't labor for, they go, I, we just... I don't, I mean, you did the miracle, and then now you're saying it's really not about the miracle, but it's about you, and it's about this bread of life, and it's about this thing that satisfies the soul, right? This, this is too good to be true, Jesus, right? Like, isn't that the weirdest thing about grace? It's like our hearts are so turned upside down. It's like, here's this gift, and you go, how much do I owe you? Right? It's like we have the hardest time receiving gifts, don't we? I've used this illustration a million times. Bear with me. How often is it hard to just receive a gift, even at Christmas? Like, it makes us feel weird. Like, why? But, but here's the thing. When you don't receive a gift, right, you, you act, when you go, hey, how much do I owe you? Can I write you a check? <laughs> Not that we would do that, but there's this hard thing, this back and forth, right? You come to my house. Now we got to go to your house. You fed us. Now we got to fed you. We can't just receive the gift and go, thank you. It actually hurts the gift giver. Like, like if I come home with, with you know, you know, funds can be tight, so Trader Joe's is probably, you can get some good flowers for like $2. My wife already knows that. She knows that. But, but I come home with this beautiful bouquet. I got her some tulips the other day. You, you've been to Trader Joe's? They got some nice tulips. And I love my wife. I wish she was in here because she's funny. Um, a lot funnier than I am. I got her these tulips. and Have you seen these? They're like in bulbs, and they're not, I was going to say hatched. I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> they just haven't, haven't grown. And you put water in them, and they're, they're supposed to grow, right? And she's just like, I mean, oh, ye, ye, oh, ye of little faith. She's just like, Ryan, these aren't going to grow. I'm like, what? Have you read the thing? You just put water in them, and they'll grow, right? And then a few days, boom, 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 boom. A few weeks, they're beautiful, right? I actually don't know why I just said that. I had a really profound point. Oh, oh, the, the gift, right? The, the gift, I mean, it, she just receives it. She just goes, yes, thank you, right? That, 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 that just makes me go, yes, thank you. Like, she didn't go, how much do I get it? How much, how much do you want for it? Why did you do that? She celebrated the gift. And you see, that's how the gospel works. That, that, that we mock God. We, 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 we say your cross wasn't enough. Your resurrection was enough. Your, your incarnation was enough. We shake our fists at him saying, what can I do? He says, just rest in me. Look to me. Believe on me. And it's hard for all of us to receive the bread, isn't it? 
So, so I don't want to minimize that at all. But it's by simple faith in who Jesus is, what he said, and what he did for us. It's not, oh, now I've got to go to church this many times. I've got to read this thing. I gotta, he says, just come to me. So last, let's just close with this. This is just a good kind of examination of our own hearts, a little test. is How do we know if we have the bread of life? How do we know if we have it? Well, again, I don't think it's actually that controversial of a passage. Some want to make it that. But the last little section, close to the end of, of chapter 6, Verse 53, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Who feeds on me also lives because of me. This is... Oh, I don't need to read that part. Some would say, oh, is this the Lord's Supper? You know, it's about taking the bread and the cup. I don't think it is. I think he's playing on that same metaphor of, of this bread of life, of coming and eating, coming and drinking. It just means to come to him. It means abide in him. It means to look to him. It means to believe in him. If you're not continually feeding on me, you're not continually looking to me for all of life, you may not have the bread yet. If you're still looking to your own works, your own behavior, your own situation, if you're still just kind of playing cultural Christianity and just showing up to church and reading the stuff and saying the things you know you're supposed to say, but if you're not coming and abiding to me, praying to me, worshiping me, understanding more of who I am through these words of Scripture, then you may not have it yet. If you're not rearranging your life for me, you may not have it yet. If you're not taking up your cross daily, you may not have it yet. Now, I don't want to leave us with this sense of like, well, geez, I mean, I, I, I don't always pray and I don't always read my Bible, right? I mean, we're all about grace here, of course. But here's something that, that I was really thinking about this week that, that I think can happen to most Christians if you haven't experienced it yet. As I've been uh, married almost 18 years, I've been with my wife about 22 years. Um, and if you've been with anyone m- the majority of your life, you know that relationships can get stale. And what can happen is that relationship, and I tell couples this, if you're married, is that one of the worst things that hap- can happen to your, your relationship is it just becomes business-like. So, so your relationship, all it becomes is how do we get things done? How do we meet these goals? How do we accomplish this or that? But you lose that love and that friendship that, you, that really started the relationship, right? But, well, you'll get there. If you're not there, you will be there. You, you, it's just something you have to keep, keep attuned to. I think it happens exactly the same way with our relationship with God. It becomes formal. It becomes business-like. I said my prayers. I showed up to church. I did the thing. Right? Nobody? Only happens to me? I'm a pastor for crying out loud. All right? I'm a professional Christian, if you will. Right? It just can become, can, can become rote. It can become come formal. And we're all in seasons of like that. But the invitation's always on the tables that come and eat and drink of me. Come and come to my word, abide in me, pray to me, look to me. Like we're going to have dark nights of the soul. We're going to have these formal things. But he says, it's all about grace. It's all about, about me and you. And, and I've, I've made you my own, that you're my kid, that you can come to me and talk to me and relate to me. You can be honest with where you're struggling. You can even tell God, hey, God, I'm just, that's just where I'm at right now. Okay. You can work with that. I'm not going anywhere. And so we have to keep attuned to the ways and shift that relationship from just business 
to personal. So in this room is, is two groups of people. There's only two groups. It's those that are believing in Christ and are Christians and those that aren't. But I know for some of us that are Christians in this room is that the bread isn't that sweet right now. It's very stale. But the remedy for whether you're a Christian or you're not this morning is still the same. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word. This abiding word. That's how we come to the faith. It's what God has revealed to us in the gospel, what God has revealed to us in the word. So, so if you're stale, feeling so far from God, meditate, abide in the word. So we have city groups so that we can be around the word and talk about the word and pray over the word. That's why we, we preach sermons on Sunday and why we, we, we do DNA groups and we have men's Bible studies on Wednesdays and women's Bible studies on, uh, on Tuesdays. And, and it's because we want to get around that word because the same remedy is always the same. The way God kind of keeps bringing up this, this bread that's satisfied is through his abiding word and the power of the Holy Spirit. That will never change. And God uses it in different, different ways, but we look to him and have the clearest picture we can through his, his word. Because I, I'm willing to bet there's many of you here that still have weird ideas about God, but it's not based on how God has revealed himself in Scripture. It's based on just feelings or emotions or some weird blog you read or some dumb friend. Or maybe your upbringing. Go meditate on Hebrews 4. Come. It's all about grace. And every, every week we're reminded, which is so, so perfect for this sermon, at least, is, is the bread of life. This bread, it's, it's a picture of, of, of the one who, who shed his, his blood by the, the cup, who broke his body by the bread, who says, come and feast on me. You don't have to fix yourself. It's all by grace. It doesn't mean we don't come, we don't acknowledge our sins. It doesn't mean we, don't, we, we come up pretending everything's fine when we know there's all kinds of bread we're seeking after that we, we shouldn't, but we, we lay those things down. And that's the invitation that Jesus, all who are, are weary, all who are thirsty, all those who are hungry, come and eat. And if you're not a, a, a believer in, in Christ, it, it's still the same process as the believer is trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him to be your bread of life. And he wants to. Those who seek him will find him. He, he wants to satisfy the longings of your heart, the thirst of your soul, because we know we're all thirsty and hungry. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. It's a human condition. We're all looking for something to satisfy us, looking for something to kind of fix that ache, whatever that thing is. We've tried all these things, and yet Jesus says, I'm giving you some bread that never goes moldy, never goes stale. I want to be with you forever, now and forever. I want to give you a new quality of life. And so if you're not a believer in Christ, we have some prayers in the, in the worship guide in the city life you can read over and think on. And if you are a believer in Christ, I just want you to do a couple things just before you come to the table. Is one is... is what can you thank God for this week? The ways you, you've seen him, his goodness towards you, his grace towards you. Second, what, what are some things that, that you need to just acknowledge before him, some bread that you've been running after that's just not the bread that he offers? Just lay that before him. Maybe what are some things you can repent of before you come to the table? And then, and then thirdly is just, just to ask Jesus, God, help me obey and trust what you've commanded me. That's part of our discipleship too. It's not just believing, but it's also obeying and following. So how can I walk in, in ways that honor you and please you and all because of your grace in my life? Can we do that together? Let's just take a moment. We'll, we'll pause just for a moment, then we'll come and celebrate the supper.